0: welcome back to scuttlebutt episode 58 i am nick i'm here with jeff raker hello and uh, nancy hi everyone and we're excited to have jeff here today He is the author of leaving mac behind the Lost marines of guadalcanal as well as be- being a fairly prolific writer in leatherneck recently so uh i just might as well get this started then uh, nancy you want to get us take us away
1: Absolutely. Hi, everybody. Welcome, Jeff.
2: Hi, Nancy. Nick. It's great to be here.
1: We are really happy to have you. Jeff is, I'm I'm a little bit biased. Jeff is one of my, well, he's probably my favorite freelancer for Leatherneck, and he has written some incredible stuff for us. (laughs) Most recently, in the April 2021 issue, he was not the author, but featured in the article History Detective. And this was an article written by Sarah Bach, about Jeff's incredible side hustle passion project of researching the histories of missing service members. Jeff, why don't you, well, first of all, welcome.
2: Thank you. <laughs>
1: and can you tell us a little bit about <laughs> how you got interested in this kind of work?
2: So I have a long-standing uh, interest in military history, um, in particular my own family's connection to it. Um, I remember being about 10 or 11 years old and in a bookstore with my grandmother. And I was a big fan of Robert Ballard, who found the Titanic and um, also the Bismarck. And every time he had a new book out, I had to have it. Uh, and he had just published uh, the Lost Ships of Guadalcanal. And I'm looking through it, and it's you know, beautifully illustrated. You know, it's got the paintings. It has the pictures of the sunken ships. And my grandmother comes up behind me uh, quietly and she looks over my shoulder and she says, oh, oh, that looks like the Quincy. And sure enough, yes, it was the USS Quincy, CA-39. And my grandmother is not the sort of person to pull that sort of trivia just out of, her, out of her hat. And so little me turned out and said, how did you know that? And she said, oh, well, that was my Uncle Ned's ship. Okay, that's who. Who is this? Who's Uncle Ned? She said whos was her, her uncle. He was Lieutenant Commander Edmund Billings of the Quincy, and she said, yeah. She said he never he died aboard the ship. He never came back. And so that just brought me right up short. You know, here I am looking at these, you know, this great colorful picture of this beautiful ship with its flags flying, um, and i start leafing through the book, and I realized the painting on the cover. Of the book is the bridge of the Quincy, and there is a description of my great-granduncle in his final moments. He was up on the bridge. Um, I believe he was either—I'm blanking on it now—who was either a communications or damage control officer, and he had he had talked his way into um, into the service. He was a—he had served in the Great War. Um, very briefly in the Army uh, and had been a yachtsman after that. And he really, I <laughs> think he pulled in a lot of connections and did a lot of browbeating and wrote a bunch of uh, very strong letters to, to get into the Naval Reserve. And they put him on the Quincy and he just absolutely adored it. Um, and he was on the bridge uh, when it was hit um, on the night of August 8th, and 9th. And a young ensign was running up to see uh, what had, you know, if anybody was left alive. And out comes Lieutenant Commander Billings. And he said half of his face was gone. And he's just backlit by the burning pilot house. And his last words were, everything will be okay, son. This ship will go down fighting. Wow. And then he d- collapses incredible. on the deck. And so, of course, I, have, I, I, I don't know how accurate that is. That may have been, you know, the young ensign retelling. It, it's also was quoted in uh, Richard Newcomb's book on Savo, which was the, I think, the original source for Ballard's material. Um, and yeah, just as a, uh, as a, as a, as a young kid to sort of have that like, whoa, you know, famous last words. Wow. That was, that was really something. Um, so I started. Th- that was that was sort of like the first like you know toe dip into into family history. Um, I veered off of uh, World War II for a while. Got really heavily into the Civil War, as you know, a lot of a lot of kids do. Um, and then uh, when I got to college age, um, I started learning more about my Marine ancestor. His name was Philip Emerson Wood Jr. Um, he was a he uh, was a first lieutenant of the Twenty Fourth Marines, Fourth Marine Division. And uh, it was my grandmother's cousin, so this side of my family does did not do well in uniform. He was killed in action at Saipan uh, at the age of 23. Uh, Philip was a fantastic letter writer, um, very very intelligent uh, young man, and uh, I remember hearing stories from his surviving cousins, and it was always you know like oh that it was it had been such a tragedy that he died so young because they felt that. Of anybody in the family, he was the one who was really was really going places. Um, So for my uh, my undergraduate, um, it was a graduation present. My uncle got me a typed up transcript of some of his letters, and was reading through them. It was, uh, you know, it was two thousand and six. You know, there was a lot of young men who were my age and Philip's age were you know overseas, um, in uh, in Iraq and Afghanistan, and. I remember reading these things, and they're addressed to, you know, to dear girls, his mom and his sister. And his sister's name is Gretchen, and she's my sister's namesake. So I have these letters from an ancestor of mine who is my age, who is coming out of um, an Ivy League education and volunteering to serve, having had zero inclination to, to go into the service, um, previous to 1942. Um, and they're... A name started appearing in some of these letters and cropping back up, and it was the name of somebody, uh, Sergeant Irvin. Um, so I started doing a little bit of digging. I, of course, was like, oh, this is, this is cool. I want to find out everything I can. I want to see if he has any, anybody who remembered him is still alive. I want to see if any of his buddies are still alive. Um, and I started, you know, reaching out. One of the veterans from his company, Company A, uh, had a website. Um, it's still up. Um, so if you search for Al Perry's 4th uh, uh, Marine Division website, it's wonderfully done his son maintains it um, and Al put me in touch with a couple of the other veterans including some, uh, some vets from the weapons platoon which my ancestor had led and sort of through them I learned more about Sergeant Arthur Irvin um, who was about Phil's age they were uh, as different as night and day, as far as I can tell, um, Phil was you know the you know, very high, highly educated, way too, way too tall and skinny to be allowed in the Marines. He had to get a bunch of waivers for his weight. Um, and then you've got Sergeant Irvin, who had been he had enlisted before Pearl Harbor. He um, was arrested. Uh, he was in the brig actually at at, at naval air station Pearl Harbor uh, because he and a buddy of his had stolen a car um, and they were on their way to uh, you know court martial. Um, they uh, were let out of the brig. They volunteered to remove you know, unexploded ordnance from the field
1: because they they were actually Got. in the brig when oh, the yeah. Japanese attack. Oh yeah. They, right? were, they yeah, were, yeah, they were
2: they were they were they were in Hawk. They were waiting. They were waiting. Um, the waiting a court-martial. So they got let out to, you know, defend, and then were flung right back in there, and then they got sent to Mayor, uh, Naval Prison, Mare Island, and both were sentenced to discharge. Um, I'm kind of getting getting ahead of myself here, but um, a- anyway, the um, he, Sergeant Irvin got out, volunteered for the 22nd Marines, uh, eventually joined 3rd Raider Battalion, and then from there uh, moved over to the 24th. He was a Navy Cross recipient um, for action at a uh, Battle of Roy Namor. Um and the two of them uh became very, very close friends, um, as far as I can tell, and as much as uh, a lieutenant and a, a sergeant um I guess could be with the um the, the the boundaries of rank. Um so much so um that when they were on Saipan together, uh They were on the same patrol on July 5th. They volunteered to take a group out to rescue some civilians who had been uh, stuck between the lines and were trying to get behind uh, the Marine positions. Um, And they were told that there were Japanese personnel out ahead. They went anyway, and Lieutenant Wood was shot through the stomach, and then Sergeant Irvin was shot through the head going to his rescue.
1: And this is, these are really, it's an incredible story. One that (coughs) honestly I think would only happen in the military where people who are so completely different and from such different backgrounds Mm -hmm. would become so close, uh, you know, particularly under fire. Um, And you've written about both of these stories for Leatherneck. Mm -hmm. uh, Really, really, both of these men were compelling characters in their own way. And, and where their stories intersect is even more compelling in my opinion.
2: Yeah. It uh, honestly uh, I I tell this story to people and they're like, that ah, sounds like a movie. It's like it it's the you could you couldn't make it up. Um but in sort of a in a in kind of a roundabout way, this is what got me interested in um, telling the stories of the missing because as I was doing my research into this event um, I found I could trace the burial sites of all six of the marines who were killed on that patrol except for Sergeant Irvin. Um, he was on the list of officially missing and I, it didn't make sense to me. I had all of these uh, eyewitness accounts that said they were killed together. I have a letter from uh, their commanding officer that said you know, I visited their graves. They're buried side by side on, on Saipan and um, a lot of the veterans hadn't known either that he was still non-recovered it was a it was a terrible shock I I didn't I didn't know um my friend George was not aware of this until I mentioned it to him and just the look on his face was horrible um
1: and George was someone who served with
2: yeah yeah he was uh George George Smith um uh
1: you met yeah. in the course of your research. Yeah, yeah. Yes, uh, yes, yeah. About he, and
2: he he became a very a very dear friend of mine for for many years. He, he passed recently.
1: So you and George together had had a kind of a mission to find Arthur. Yeah, that's correct? that's
2: right. He um we were in 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 many ways we were we were partners in this, and he uh he he was getting on the phone. We were trying to track down uh, family members. We did actually succeed in in contacting some of them. Um, and we even, uh, we got to the point where we felt like we knew exactly where he was. I uh, collaborated early on in this process with a uh, retired g- uh, Marine Gunnery Sergeant named Ted Darcy. He has a uh, he has a group called WFI Research. Um, and he provided me with uh, charts of the Saipan Cemetery and I got a hold of Arthur Irvin's dental records. Lo and behold, uh, buried right next to Phil Wood, um, and next to another guy who was killed in the patrol, uh, is unknown X um, sixty four on the burial chart. So we pulled the uh, the X file for that individual, took a look at the uh, the dental physical characteristics, and said, "Okay, this is this has got to be him." Um, and that was eleven years ago. <laughs> So um it took it took a while but I I am happy to say that his his case was finally resolved uh this summer um we got in touch with uh family who were able to provide a DNA match that was acceptable and um yeah the DPAA announced it and uh I was out I was out having lunch and I was not anticipating that that uh that message and man I just I just started crying in the restaurant and then I went and I ordered myself the nicest whiskey that they had um, and had a little had a little moment um just knowing that this was this this long quest was finally over and uh, you know it was hard to think that um you know that george George had passed away uh, not long before like less than a year before this and this was what his what he was really um this was sort of his last, his last big mission in life was to bring his friend back. Uh, so we got it done for him. Um, do this uh, We just took a little bit too long.
1: Well, it's, it's some, some of that definitely was out of your control. And, mm-hmm. and imagine though, if you hadn't, if you and George hadn't been pushing for that positive identification... Yeah. perhaps it never would have happened it could still be there you told me before we started recording you mentioned that some some preliminary plans are in place for his reinterment yes um, for, so
2: arthur's re-interment. for arthur's re for arthur's <laughs> reinterment yes um, we are i should say we i'm I'm not I'm not this is all in, in the hands of his family which is as it should be um, but the uh, the thought thus far is they're looking at national memorial cemetery the pacific in hawaii uh, which happens to be where Phil Wood is buried. Um, and I think they're going to try to get the two of them into the same plot if that's possible. So they'll be, uh, be kind of close together again um, in their final resting places. So. That would be
1: really fitting, mm-hmm. I think. That would be really fitting. It's it's interesting to me how family stories... Oh, First of all, one of the things I've learned working at Leatherneck is how these family stories are often not told and not passed on and what a huge loss that is when they aren't and so mm-hmm. I, I love the fact that your grandmother's story sparked an interest in you and meant not only that your family stories have been passed on and told to so many but you've gone and found other people's family stories and passed those on and told those. I think that's that's so important and so amazing. And uh, that that's actually what connected the two of us. Because mm-hmm. I, was, I was working on the article about history flight. And I was told, oh, you got to talk to Jeff. You got to talk to Jeff. Jeff, you, you need to talk to Jeff. Like, I've already interviewed so many people. Who's mm-hmm. Jeff? Why do I need to talk to Jeff? Like, no, 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 you got to talk to Jeff. And he'll help you with photographs. And... Just for the heck of it, like, okay, I'm just going to be polite. I'm going to reach out to this Jeff person. And uh, I'm so glad I did because it added a completely new dimension to to the story that I was writing. Mm-hmm. It added photos, but also, you know, I, I I'm just, I can't say enough about how amazed I am about the work you do. And you do this because you love to do it, not because you're getting paid for it
2: yeah that's that is that is true um i can't oh <laughs> i get i get leather, leatherneck does pay me for well articles uh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, a few yeah. dollars a page Yeah, a little <laughs> bit here a little <laughs> bit there i mean it's actually it's it pays better than book royalties so if anybody out there is thinking about uh doing magazines or doing a book start with the magazine hey, shameless plug leatherneck yeah looking <laughs> for submissions guys get them in um yeah, no, I, and it's very it's very true, and I think so. That's um, that's been sort of the impetus behind uh, this research project I have going on, which is called Missing Marines, um, and the idea is to kind of preserve and tell as many of those stories as is as is possible. Um, I find it's you know I, I do have a uh, you know, degree in military history, and of course you know it's important to uh, get your you know. Get the, get the stories of the battle down. But like those have been told so many times, uh, many of them, by much more accomplished scholars than I am and much better writers than I am. Um, but I found that the, what's really lacking is that sort of human perspective, like who are the people who were here? Um, and I'm sure if my, uh, if some of my Norwich University professors hear me, say this they're gonna come down on me for getting into the social history thing you know this is i think it's 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 very important that um these individual tales don't get lost and it's really fascinating too to take um you know take look into somebody's background like where did they you know where were they where were they born what were their family circumstances like who did they leave you know who did they leave behind and that can really inform sometimes uh the decisions they make um in action, and in some cases, it can inform how you know how an action is resolved or a battle is fought. Um, yeah, it's a it's it's a very it's a very interesting perspective. Um, and two, it's really puts into perspective um, what families were going through at the time. Uh, one of the main um, sources of information for doing this research is um, it's called the. Shorthand is IDPF, but Individual Deceased Personnel File. Um, these have got you know any and all details pertaining to an individual's death and the administration that follows. And in a lot of cases, they have correspondence between the family and the government, looking f- and some of the letters from uh, from parents or from girlfriends or brothers looking for they they want they want to know what happened then they can't a lot of them they can't believe that uh that somebody is dead and especially if if you have a case when somebody's missing or non-recovered a lot of the times there's a lot of doubt and people don't you know they can't they can't they just can't without a body they can't believe that this person is gone um And you'll say, he must be in a hospital, he must have lost his mind, he has amnesia, he's in a hospital somewhere, he's been so badly wounded, he doesn't want to come home. Um, There was a really, uh, one of the really heartbreaking ones, Uh, it was a sergeant, um, Sergeant William Ball, uh, who I believe was in the 2nd Marines um, at Tarawa. And he was reported as wounded in the battle, marked for evacuation, and then... Missing, and they ne- his family never found out where he was buried. They were told um, by one of his by somebody who claimed to have known him that you know he had been injured in the arm, and this had be- he had been seen you know going back towards the beach. So they thought for a long time that this had happened, and. Uh, I guess in some of his conversations with uh, with friends and family, he said, "If I'm, you know, if I if I'm going to lose a limb, he said, 'I'm not. He i 'I'm not coming home. I'm not going to subject my family to that.'" So the fa- the family and his um, uh, I don't recall if she was his fiance or his wife, um, his high school his high school sweetheart, um, lived for a long time, you know, believing that he was out there somewhere and just was refusing uh, to come back. Um I think eventually they did they did accept his they did accept his fate, but it took it took many 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 years of just this this uncertainty um mm-hmm. and thinking you know and 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 doubt he you was know, thinking like why like why would he not come home? We'll love him anyway um so Sergeant Ball was identified a couple of years ago he was killed on taro he never made it off the beach um and what maybe a maybe a coincidence, but I'm not sure. Is that when uh, the 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 remains that were found, um, the left arm was missing, uh-huh. and they said he had been shot twice in the left arm, and he was seen going back to the beach like that. So he had the left arm was gone, and then something had uh, something had gone through his skull, um, and that's what that's what eventually killed him. But just to um, just like reading reading the correspondence between between this guy who had so many so many hopes and dreams and he was gonna get married to his high school sweetheart and he had a he had left a good job at an auto mechanic and went off and I think he was only he was only maybe 20 or 21 years old.
1: So how do mm-hmm. you how do you separate How do you separate yourself from some of these really weighty, cases how do you or even
0: can you can you even separate yourself Um, from some of the personal stories that are coming out of these letters it's
2: it's hard um it's really hard uh i think that some of it just has to do with 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 repetition i don't want to say like i get i get inured to it um but you know it kind of comes a point where you have to you have to (coughs) compartmentalize you have to compartmentalize uh a bit between saying okay i'm i'm solving i want to solve this cold case essentially um like from an academic standpoint that's where you're going through and you're like okay like this person is missing this tooth here and this tooth here and they've got a filling over here and they're about the same height and weight and i can place them in this location at around the right time um, versus you know what did that look like what was the impact on their on their friends who saw them, who saw them die, or their friends who buried them or reburied them. In some cases, um, than the impact on their family. Um, it is it's very hard to separate, but the um, the payoff in the end for when some of these cases are successfully resolved is worth every minute of it. Um, I remember the first repatriation i went to was for a another tyro marine named jack prince um he's at the uh calverton national cemetery on long island i believe um and i kind of just i went there not really knowing what to expect i was living in brooklyn at the time and i thought oh this will be this will be interesting i'll go i'll go check it out um and i was just really struck by how many people showed up from his family and this you know Jack was 18. He was right out of school. He, um, he was in the service for less than a year. um, Had no, no kids. No, his nearest, um, his his parents, of course, were were long since passed away, and I think his his siblings had too. So there was nobody at this ceremony who knew him uh, when he was alive. But family came from all over the place they came up from across the country to come see this person who they'd heard story, they'd heard stories about uncle Jack or they'd heard, you know, little, little bits and pieces. Or they remembered how, you know, his mother, you know, never, you know, she really never got over his death and, um, that sort of thing. And just seeing like how, how this like brought them all together, it was sort of like there had been this, um, there had been this wound in this family, um, That was sort of, it was so old that it was scarcely, you couldn't really feel it. It was not really, it was scarcely acknowledged. Um, But the relief of having it healed uh, was tremendous. And uh, I just remember like watching, you know, the, you know, talking to these people and just like hearing, um, just hearing their reactions to this. And I thought, well, okay, this is this this is why this is important you know it's it is you know yes you, there is the promise that you know we'll we're supposed to bring you if you're killed you'll you'll be brought home um the country owes you that at the very least um but you know I, I, in in my in my personal opinion i think bones don't care where they lar- where they lie um but families do so yeah. people are like well why are you so, like why are you so interested in dead people i said i'm i'm not i'm interested in i'm interested in living people i'm interested in the ones who are the ones who survive and that's that's who you do the research for really
1: how do you think this work has changed you
2: um that's a good question (laughs) um uh i mean it's it's changed the it's changed the direction i thought my life was going to take i mean i went to I went to theater school, <laughs> 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 you know. Um, I was a liberal arts major, and I was, you know, I was going to go down and, you know, I was going to be an actor or a sound designer or something. I didn't really know what. Um, and then I got into, I got into writing. You know, I'm a, I'm a professional copywriter. It's, it's my, it's the day job. Um, but I didn't really know what I was wanting to do with myself, and it just sort of felt like. Okay. This is. Uh, I don't know. It sounds. It sounds a little cheesy to say it's a calling, um, but it's. C- it's sort of given me a mission. Um, to. Uh, yeah. To try and try and try and solve as many of these uh, cases as possible, and close as many of these stories as we can.
1: This is. This is how you serve. This is your way of serving, this I think.
2: Is, yeah, this is true. As I said, my family—we didn't do too well uh, <laughs> in <laughs> the war. We tended to get, uh, we tended to get blown up or shot. So uh, <laughs> I did not. I, I, I did not. I did not serve. Um, well, hence I the inclination for liberal arts. <laughs> yeah, there yeah. you go. <laughs> yeah, no, I was. You know, I've just people are like, oh, well, why didn't you serve in the Marines? I, I would have been a terrible Marine. Are you kidding? I would have lasted. I would have lasted about 30 minutes, and all the DIs would have blown their voices out screaming at me, and you know, Paris Island would have <laughs> shut down probably. But, but I mean, when I when <laughs> I talked to
1: uh, Sergeant Major LeHue from History Flight, mm-hmm. the first interview with him, one of the standout comments he made, and he was talking about the team, mm-hmm. uh, uh, the History Flight team, the archaeologists, the volunteer the researchers, young like yourself, right? He said. Yep we can serve in all kinds of ways we can be americans who serve Mm -hmm. we don't all have to wear a uniform there are so many ways to serve Mm -hmm. and i think this is just this is a prime example of that because what you you do matters what you do is really important and can you you know i want to follow up with that a little bit can you talk about what that if it wouldn't be too personal what that conversation was like with arthur Irvin's family After Mm. you got (coughs) the news, what that first conversation might have been like.
2: Sure. Um, So his family, this is the... Kay, I apologize if you listen to this and I mangle your relationship. Um, This is... Kay is the daughter of Arthur's half-sister. They had... Arthur's mother was married uh, three times... I think, um, she lost her first two husbands, um, when she was quite young. Uh, Arthur was born from her first marriage and Barbara was from the second, I think. Um, so, but because they shared, um, uh, they shared that, uh, they shared that family connection, um,
1: they all the Barbara same mother. Was,
2: they all had this. They all had the same mother, and this is going to be important in a sec. Um, Barbara Dyer, um, the half sister, uh, in the you know, letter about five, five or six years ago, um, she really wanted to find out what had happened to Arthur. I think she was maybe ten uh, when he when he was killed. Um, so she and she had remembered him as you know this you know like fun guy always smiling which is completely at odds with uh, everything I heard about him from in the service which is that he never smiled and never laughed except under like one very like very specifically telling one story about being in combat and they said that's the only time he laughed um, uh, so um, yeah and they were, they were the ones who were really uh, kind of like pushing for this and she sent in a DNA sample and we didn't hear anything we didn't hear anything um I heard from Kay that Barbara passed away um, within days of finding out that X64 from Saipan had been disinterred from Manila and was being taken to a lab for testing. And that's the one who wound up being him. Um, so we kept uh, we kept trying to do this and this was in this was in late, or 2019. Um, So as things were going through the things were going through the lab then of course COVID happened and everything shut down for a good portion of time and then the lab started moving again very slowly. They had uh, their priority was remains from Tarawa Mm -hmm. Um, and in so far as as Pacific Theater was concerned they were working on History flights, Tarawa finds, disinterments from um, Honolulu, right, and uh, Pearl Harbor, and I think they were they were getting started. They were starting to ramp up uh, um, which is their big one right now. So getting and then 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 they s- then we noticed they were starting to do some from the Fourth Marine Division Cemetery and the Twenty Seventh Division Cemetery in Saipan. So oh, perfect. Um, but because of uh, because of Kay's relationship um, and Barbara's relationship on the mother's side, their DNA wasn't going to b- wasn't able to be considered f- as a potential match. So I got in touch with it. Kay, and I trying to tra- <laughs> we tried had to track down a a cousin um, whom she hadn't talked to in a long time. Oh boy! And she reached out to this cousin. So I hope he's hope he says yes. Uh, she had gone she went to the family member uh, updates and everything and she she spoke to um, a couple of folks from DPAA and they're like she was like she's like, Here's all my printouts, here's all the documentation, X sixty four is my relative, and they're like Hold on, we gotta, get yeah. that. We gotta have a DNA sample. Right. This is very compelling evidence. Or so like, don't worry, like there's been a flag on this case for a while, and I think a lot of that has been because people like me and George and Katie Rasdorf have been badgering them for Ten years about what are you doing about Sergeant Irvin? Um, uh, yeah. And they said they said we need to gotta have the DNA to 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 really be sure. So she contacted this cousin, and fortunately, he sent it in, and boom, that was that, that was, was the, the match, match from yeah. It was from uh, a descendant of so our Irvin had two older brothers, and so was a descendant from from one of them. So they shared the same father, um, and yeah, I just. Uh, I we 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 have, we have a we have an email relationship, so we can you know, we haven't gotten. Uh, I didn't I didn't dare <laughs> phone call after that because it was going to be just so emotional. But we've been, um, we've been we've been keeping in touch pretty regularly uh, through the whole planning process, and it's just it's it's great. Um, it's great to have him coming back, and they've also there were two others from that same battalion who were killed on Saipan and unrecovered. One of them, another one of. George's friends was identified earlier in the year too, and we're waiting on family, re- family reference sample for the last one. Um, <clears throat> again, we're pretty sure we know which one he is because he had two—he was like 19 and he had two front dentures. And there's not a whole lot of 19-year-olds in no. the 1940s with two front dentures. And so, okay, here's here's X5 wow. from the 27th Cemetery. But wow. again, we got to find the right got to find the right match for it to be uh, to be absolutely sure.
1: That's incredible. Mm-hmm. That's inc- it's incredible work, and it's 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 got to be a great feeling when you have that success and mm-hmm. filled with a lot of different types of
0: emotions. Yeah, but we probably didn't expect to be plumbing the depths of your emotions when you came <laughs> in. Yeah, <I'm> sorry, <laughs> sorry. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, maybe you should <laughs> ask some questions,
1: Nick. I'm getting a little too deep. <laughs> yeah,
0: I mean, I I guess like before I start asking questions, I can point out that we have kind of hit the trifecta of uh, of recovery i guess in leatherneck because we have the dpaa article so you kind of right. get the mm-hmm. government side of it we have right. the history flight article so you get like the science and the field part of it and we've got the finding arthur so mm-hmm. uh, we've got kind of the human the human side of it so if anybody wants to go on this journey on your own we've got all that stuff in leatherneck um, just want to point that out now before we forget about it. Right, <laughs> right. Um, and then kind of, like, let's uh, kind of back up and let's kind of get a little bit more scholarly about this, I guess.
2: <coughs> oh, i put my straighten yep. my glasses out here. okay? yes.
0: Yeah. <laughs> oh, Let me
1: get my uh, corduroy yep. patch yep. Uh, yep. jacket on. Yep, I'm ready um. for this. <coughs> Anybody have a pipe I, be I can smoke? So
0: Ooh, indeed, indeed. Indeed, yes, quite. <laughs> so here we are now in the present times, yes. Um, <laughs> uh, so it seems like... And I don't know if this is because I've been turned on to it or not. That the last ten, fifteen years this uh body recovery exhumation, finding the MIAs, finding uh, all this stuff is kind of really ramped up. Mm-hmm. Um, do we think that's because now the descendants are starting to age out, or is there just now awareness, or is it finally we have the wherewithal to go find uh some of these folks?
2: Uh, that's a that's a good question with a complicated answer. <laughs> um and I don't want to have to take the fifth on uh, on the podcast, but um, <clears throat> I will say I think that a lot of a lot of it has to do with um, yes, that people are more aware that uh, that that that, that, this, that this is an issue that exists. You can talk to several people who are just like, oh yeah, it was you know, Uncle Jack, Uncle Joe. We never figured out what happened to him. And then you reach out to them, and they're like who are you? How did you get my contact information? Like, well, I've been researching people in your family tree, and I went on Ancestry and looked up, I cross-referenced a bunch of stuff from the census records of these old newspaper things, and then I went on white pages, and I think (laughs) you're probably descended to so-and-so by this line, and if they don't hang up on you uh, right away, then you can say, all right, so if you're this person, um, would you mind if we put you in contact with um, the Marine Corps Casualty? division, they will have some, they have some questions and they may send you a DNA sample because there's a chance you can identify your person. Um, so there is a lot of that. There's, um, there, there are, uh, I'm certainly not the only person doing this. I, um, I my, my focus is on World War II Marines, but there are, there are people out there who do, uh, you know, do air crew, specialize in air crew or specialize in the ETO, um, people who spend their own money to go out with organizations and, you know, go go search for go search for remains and um, it does feel like the, uh, the 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 media attention that some of these uh, efforts generates is also very helpful um i think too there have been um, the the availability and uh, advances in dna technology and i may i'll probably to start talking out of my depth pretty pretty fast. We're to getting if we want. Yeah yeah yeah. Just say okay. science. Yeah. Science. The science. the science. The science is yes. good. The yes. science, yeah, the si- Yeah, improvements in science. Um, I think have, uh, definitely helped a lot. There, are, you know, there's so many more. It's just like doing a slave. How they used to have to do things in the 40s by you know just you know, comparing teeth and personal effects, and now it's like, okay, well, we can take a DNA sample. We can, um, they study, uh, chest x-rays. When you went into the service, you know, you would have, uh, you'd have your TB test done. Um, they can, you know, look at the, uh, the, the structure of your clavicles, I guess, is, uh, s- somebody please write to me if I'm wrong about that. I'm sure <laughs> I am, but it's, um, it's, a uh, yeah, so there are a bunch of different ways that they have to, uh, Potentially do these identifications. DNA is alway, that's always going to be the the one that they that they want um, to prove it beyond the shadow of a doubt because you know, there are a lot of things and it has um, it has helped uh, in a couple of cases to resolve uh, resolve mistakes that were made in the 40s. I think there was a uh, captain Captain Edward Walker of Easy Company uh, Second Marines um, was identified uh, recently and. They said, "Well, uh, we buried somebody they sent back as Captain Walker in his hometown in Tennessee in, you, know, 1947 or 48. So, but they said,No, well, this DNA test actually conclusively proves that this was him, and he he was one of the unknowns." So they had to exhume that thing, and I think they, they've, they've took their remains out of there. I don't know if they've what progress they've made there, but I think, th- I, think I recall hearing that they found not, not, not just the remains of one individual with parts of two uh commingled in the casket so kind of a big 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 mistake from back in the day uh but that was that was cleared up um with the uh scientific advances we have available today which is pretty cool
0: so kind of bringing it back to the family then so if Mm -hmm. you have a mistake like that where the family's already thought that uh you know grandpa's been dead and buried for 70 years Mm -hmm. and now all of a sudden we realize that nope that wasn't him do we get the, a similar kind of response, or
2: how do we how how do um, react to that? I was I was not as close to that that case, um, but I understand there was a uh, a bit more anger anger and annoyance oh. than um, than than relief in that case. There's there certainly was that you know they were they were they were more than more than thrilled to have uh, have him back, but from what I. What I understand was there were a couple of, uh, a couple of tough questions were uh, aimed at, yeah, uh, yeah, the the original identifiers, and you know it's um it's interesting to think they they did have to process so many of these remains. Everybody uh, who was killed in the Pacific, um, where gradually, policy at the, the naval policy at the time was. You're interred. If you're you're killed, you're buried basically where you fall um, in a small cemetery. They try to group you together as much as possible, but there's no shipping available to bring remains back. There's also morale things. You don't want, you know, ships and ships and ships of, you know, coffins coming back. Let's save that for after the war. Um, So then bodies are gradually... uh, Consolidated from the little field burials to larger island cemeteries, and from those island cemeteries to big depots. Um, so, like there was one on Guadalcanal uh, for all the remains in the Solomons. Everybody was exhumed from there, brought to Honolulu, and they went had to go through every single set of remains to confirm identifications, no matter how well marked they were or not. Um,
1: and that was a huge job. It was a huge yeah. job.
2: It took it took years to do, um, and there were. Uh, actually there were three uh three main anthropologists um kind of overseeing the work in honolulu um and one of them dr dr mildred trotter she (coughs) she used her you know this amazing if you want to distill it down there this amazing data set um and she came up with uh or she she like co-came up with a method for identifying remains um of unknowns based on uh Age and stature um, that I believe was used. And again, this is I'm going to start talking out of my depth again. So maybe we can maybe we can cut that part out. Yeah, we'll add it. Okay, no big <coughs> deal. <laughs> anyway, yeah. So <coughs> starting here, uh, so Dr. Trotter used her uh, used this data that she gathered to you know, she had a major uh, impact on the field of forensic anthropology in the years that followed. And if there's any anthropology students out there listening, I'm sure you've probably heard her name.
0: Yeah. <coughs> um so was there like an evolution um, uh, of the preservation techniques as they're kind of going through this process uh, as because they're probably learning a lot as they're mm-hmm. going right so they the yes so they in were. the field I, I'm guessing mm-hmm. the efforts weren't that high just kind of getting them getting them mm-hmm. buried as close together as possible and as they exhum them the first time every time you exhume there's damage is likely right yeah. so there's, yeah
2: mm-hmm. there's potential potential for you know mis- either uh, yeah Put it one way for losing pieces, and for a second way, losing um, losing identity. So if you don't have very careful records about who was buried where um, on an island, you know, it's if you get one person out of place, you have the potential to screw up several. Um, and so there are there are a couple of ca- there is a couple of missing Marines that were buried in sort of more rear area uh, cemeteries, not you know not combat fatalities, um, who appear to have been essentially misplaced um (coughs) there's a, a sergeant earl simmons uh from i think from uh charlie company one seven uh who died of scrub typhus um at a rear area in bougainville and was there you can track where his remains were reportedly you know buried initially and he was moved two or three times as the cemeteries were consolidated and then when they got to central identification laboratory like this isn't this isn't Earl Simmons, this is somebody else. Like there, like there there's a <coughs> there's a major major discrepancy exists. So either Sergeant Simmons' original records were wrong or somebody messed up and got they switched some names around. But unfortunately, if you don't have DNA from Sergeant Simmons' family at this point, from a very specific branches of his family, he's gonna be on that list. There's no way to prove it. Yeah. yeah. So mm-hmm.
1: well, so as we get ready to sort of wrap this up a little bit. Let me mm-hmm. ask you, uh, for someone listening who maybe has this story in their family, um, someone who's missing, buried on a battlefield somewhere mm-hmm. far away, and they're curious to try and find out more or or solve that cold case, what, what can they do? What advice do you have?
2: Um, <coughs> let's see. Well, first of all, find out everything you can about their – their time in the service, and um, what their unit was doing at the time. Um, For Marines, Navy, Coast Guard, it's a little bit easier um, than for Army and Army Air Corps, uh, because in 1973 there was a big fire at the archives in St. Louis, and the majority of personnel files um, from Army and Army Air Corps were destroyed uh, with no backups. So those records are gone um i don't remember (laughs) there are you you may you may be lucky and uh have one that's either undamaged or only a little bit damaged but uh army is much much harder to trace you can request from um, national archives in st louis um, what's called the official military personnel file ompf um they are very very backed up due to covid so and i'm hearing reports that wait times are potentially uh, multiple years at this point and I'm hoping I'm hoping that's just a rumor <laughs> um, wow. I haven't I haven't requested one directly through them there are groups if you can't get to st. Louis yourself there are groups that work in the area um, that will send researchers out there in person and they will go make copies for you um, Redbird research is a good option golden arrow research is another one that I've used personally in the past um, that file will have, much, That'll be the most complete uh, snapshot of their time specifically in the service, everything from induction until uh, death um, and then a little bit beyond. As a follow-up for that, you can get, as we previously mentioned, the individual deceased personnel file, the IDPF. Um, they're in the process of digitizing all of those. They are not all complete yet, um, but you can request those um, uh Via the uh, Freedom of Information Act, um, if they have it digitized, they can send it to you. Uh, and it's usually a week or two turnaround. Um, and if you need help with any of that, you can feel free to contact me at my website. This is not a plug. This is so because I'm don't remember the email address to send it to, but you go to missingmarines.com and you know click research help and say, hey, can you help me get files on this and and we can I'll add hook, all that I'll in the up. show notes. Okay. Yeah. yeah cool. Cool. Um, yeah. yeah. Um, so I would say that's a good. That would be. That would be where to start. That'll give the most information um, from a primary source about where they were when they were killed, the nature of what killed them, and what was done immediately after their death to recover their remains, bury them someplace if that was possible. And also, it'll record uh, any post-war searches that were done because between 1946 and 1948, uh, graves registration teams were traveling, you know, the globe, um, exhuming remains from these cemeteries overseas and doing actual searches out in the boondocks for uh, reported, you know, isolated graves. They were not very successful, which is unfortunate. Um, but they did get they, they did bring everybody back who was who was interred in the in the island cemeteries. Um, and then, kind of based on that, there are a couple of options that you can take. Um, there are some really good organizations out there uh, that can help you sort of further your research. History Flight is a great one. Um, if you've got somebody who's connected to the Battle of Tarawa, if you've got somebody who's connected to Cabanatuan, uh, um, or to uh, they've been doing they've been doing some work in the in the ETO, uh, but you have to get you have to get in touch with them to really get the details on that. Um there's a group uh, a Japanese group actually called Kuantai, um, who's been working in the Marianas uh, and they've been um, trying to trying to locate American and Japanese remains together um there is uh, if, if the person was an aviator, um, you can check with uh, Justin Talen at Pacific Rex um, he's got a fantastic database of you know, information about you know the uh, about just the, the islands um. You know, individual airplanes and losses. So yeah, reach out to one of those. Reach out to one of those groups, or you can also again missingmarines.com. Um, I I do more than just Marines. <laughs> <It's>, um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And just, also just directly to
1: DPAA mm-hmm. if mm-hmm. if they know in yeah. fact, yeah. Yeah.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Y- you know that they. C- can give that DNA yeah,
2: absolutely and you can say they yeah, DPA's <coughs> got a searchable list of everybody you can reach out to them directly they have contact information if, if you know if you know the branch of service you can get in touch with them directly and they'll be able to help you out um, right from right from the get-go because uh, yeah it's it's getting that um, getting that family reference sample uh, FRS on file is the most important thing that you can do and um, they will they will help you out with a little chart that'll tell you which members of the family are eligible and not, and that can, that can save a lot of time. Um, and then, yeah, just for your, for your own, um, for your own knowledge, uh, you consider, uh, taking out a subscription to Ancestry, and I promise they are not paying me to say that, um, but if you can get one, uh, that's great for, you know, kind of putting together those, those background stories, tracing down, um, Relatives you may not, you may have fallen out of contact with, or like distant branches of the family who may be able to help out. Um, Fold Three has got a pretty good searchable database of uh, military records, um, so you can get on there and see if there's any any records pertaining to that. Um, or searching old newspapers, either online or at a at a local library, um, can also help to kind of put the uh, put the put the face to the the face to the ancestor. Sure, mm-hmm. sure.
1: So and and what's next? What are you working on now? Cool. I, I know. I mean, I know you're working on something for Leatherneck. And
2: leather there's a neck. reason why you it's know. important. <laughs> is because
0: I don't know if we mentioned it, but Jeff is an award-winning writer. Yes. So yeah. Yeah.
2: That,
1: uh, yes. So you can oh.
0: always look forward to what comes next from an award-winning <laughs> right. writer.
1: That's right. He uh,
2: is. Ho- I hope so. Hopefully, you keep the streak going. Um, <laughs> yeah. No, I do. I am. I am working on uh, working another article for Leatherneck. Um, have to stay tuned for that one. Um, kind of keeping close tabs in a couple cases uh, from Guadalcanal that were profiled in, in my book and uh, well on my way. My ultimate goal with this book is for it to be completely obsolete in a couple of years because that'll mean that all the case studies have been resolved, fingers crossed, that nobody ever needs it anymore except for a more general history uh, or to see some of the pictures because there's some pretty cool rare pictures in there. Um, I've got a, I have an article coming out in uh, Marine Corps history this winter uh, about Tarawa and specifically um, the graves registration mission and the evolution of the battlefields there uh, It's one of the trickier um, trickier things to explain um it's really complicated the whole graves registration process it's i i still have to like go back to my little cheat sheet and be like where was cemetery 27 oh yeah that's what they're this eighth marines number two or so they have they have all different names and they basically just built a they built an airbase over top of the whole island and it was a yeah uh for more information on that pick up (laughs) (laughs) record history (laughs) journal um right yeah and then um yeah i've got a couple of uh Couple of other, couple other things in the works. I'm hoping to uh, publish a collection of my ancestors' letters. I have them all up online, um, illustrated and annotated, and everything. But I'd love s- it was his. It was his sister's dream to have them in book format. Um, but nobody was interested right after the war, so she sort of typed it up. But when I would love to see yeah. that.
1: That would be great. And yeah. we have published some of those letters in the magazine previously. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So yes, for a little have. taste of that, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah, they're yeah. beautifully written.
2: He is. He was. Yeah, he was a really good writer. Um, it's it's a good a good sort of like warts and all look at somebody who was kind of a uh, a bit of a reluctant a reluctant marine, but so once he once he really got uh, got into got into feeling feeling the feeling of leadership. Uh, he found it was something that he really, um, he had, I guess, sort of an unorthodox approach to it, um, but his men really loved him for it, which was great. Um, so, yeah, hopefully, hoping to do that. And um, then, really, just uh, I've been collecting stories of the 1st Battalion 24th for, oh, man, uh, almost 15 years now. So, love to do a unit history on them and then just do. Uh, just do just do the story of, of Phil and Sergeant Irvin, and um, if I can get that done in time for the uh, the Saipan anniversary in 20, uh, 2014, 2020, ooh. get that done for the Saipan anniversary in twenty twenty four, that would be that would be ideal.
1: So another book are we talking about? Yeah. Oh, that would be great. Yeah, another great. one
2: possibly two, but we'll we'll see. Taking we'll taking it one day at a time.
1: Well, so. and hopefully you would be willing to come back on the show and talk to us about the books when they're yeah. published. Yeah.
2: yeah, let me let me let me sell them in first. Let me, yeah, okay. <laughs> let, me okay. f- yeah. let me finish okay. the pitch first, and then we'll <laughs> talk about doing <laughs> doing the promo work.
0: Well, when you becu- when when Netflix picks up one for a docu series or something, I was we going yeah, sure, uh, yeah, When Tom <laughs> Hanks <laughs> comes calling, <laughs> yeah, I'll make sure
2: you guys get in there first. Please excellent, do. Excellent. <laughs> yeah. We call it, we call it, uh,
1: dibs. All right.
0: Yeah. So. All right. Um, I guess we are kind of been talking for a while, but real quick, uh sure. we have been going deep into the history and we've talked uh your personal connection with what you've been doing. I just kind of want to lighten it up here a little bit at mm. the end so uh aside from being a copywriter, which <laughs> you know is a thing uh you've done Easy some thing. civil war reenacting
2: Uh, yes i did i am um, for i did for about fifteen years i got i got out of the hobby um yeah uh, se- several several years ago and I feel like uh I, d- I did my did my time in there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I had 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 my fun and uh, tried to teach some lessons. So yeah, if you if you tune into History Channel, you might see me trotting across the screen every now and again. <laughs> but mm-hmm. or a couple of very low budget movies. Yeah. What this
1: I need to look for. What gets mm-hmm.
2: you out of uh,
0: reenactment? Because it feels like the more people get in, the more they get in. Um, and it, it's like yeah, mud. It just pulls you down.
2: It was it was a. Uh, it was a personal decision um, it gets increasingly difficult to separate um, old-timey old-timey <laughs> politics from modern <laughs> politics uh-huh. so when i got out in i, I got out in 2015 and <laughs> i got out i got out <laughs> no i made no it was, out. It, was a, it was it was a tough decision i spent i made a lot of wonderful friends um, in the hobby, and I still, you know, still keep in touch with them, and a lot of them, st- a lot of them, still, you know, still do events and that sort of thing. But I just, um, I hit a point where I kind of, I kind of couldn't reconcile. Um, I guess it, it's, it's. I always went in trying to, uh, trying to educate, and a lot of people were in for a lot of very, very different reasons. Mm. They maybe
1: didn't want to be educated. That
2: uh, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so, like I say, it was a very, it was a personal thing. Some some of my friends um, were attacked and left the hobby. Um, oh my. Yeah, and abused um, for their their political leanings, and um, I just yeah, it just kind of became a. It was just it, just it it got. The group I was with was great, but it just got way too toxic, honestly, and. This is I a separate episode. This is a separate no episode. Way. I'm actually <laughs> like I can
0: actually now. I made a joke about like a Netflix docuseries earlier, but now I'm like the dark side of uh, re-enactment. reenactment. Oh boy, you thought you you thought you knew reenactment.
2: I was gonna say uh, you might. I was say You might have to bleep my name out of the episode. Okay. now. All <laughs> <laughs> right. We won't. You're we right. won't go. We You're won't delve into we're that We're not going into any You're details. You're gonna yeah. get me in trouble. Yeah. yeah. yeah no I'll more. I'll get myself, th- th- myself in trouble. There's some stories I can tell you off the air. Okay.
0: Well, we won't air that on air. Okay. All right. That is. Wow, I was not expecting to go there just now. I was trying to like. Yeah, end you on said you were gonna lighten it up. I was trying to right. lighten it up. <laughs> <laughs> all right, well, <laughs> seeing as I failed that, anybody right. got any logs to throw on the fire before I uh, put my tail between my legs and try and sneak out? <laughs> say, I can tell you a ghost story. <laughs> oh,
2: ghost all right. story. Yeah, yeah. All right, I'm all, all about right, ghost stories. Cool. Story. So this, yes yeah, this is from my reenacting days. Um, we were down in Gettysburg working on a working on a film project, and we decided, like the uh, you know the cool kids that we were, we were gonna. Keep our stinky wool clothes on, and we were gonna go out in the battlefields, you know, at nightfall, and just go walk around and kind of give ourselves the creeps a little bit. So we um, we parked over for people who have been to Gettysburg. We parked uh, at the little Round Top lot, and we walked over there, and we walked, you know, you know through the Valley of Death and and you know, Bloody Run and Devil's Den and Slaughter Pen and all of them. And yeah, and my buddy's buddies like, yeah, it's like you gotta check out the triangular field, man. I was like so special about the triangular field they're like well they're like it's supposed to be the most haunted part of the battlefield and like it's the only it's they, they are there are known to be uh confederate bodies still there um under a big rock apparently there's a little memorial um but they're like yeah it's like it's really wild like it, it's it's a it's a lesser known part of the uh of the battlefield because it's a you have to as you're going up around like everybody when you're going by devil's den you're like whoa devil's den there's the sharpshooter picture um it's the field behind that, uh, farther away um, from Little Round Top. And there was a big, you know, th- it changed hands, I think, four times, you know, before the before uh, Longstreet's guys even got, you know, over the crest and into Devil's Den. So there's this huge thing. I think they wiped out a, a Union artillery battery over there and smashed up a, a New York regiment. Um, so we're getting in there, and um, one of my buddies turns to me and says, hey, he's like, uh, this is going to sound weird, but like, don't, like, don't step off the path. <laughs> when we're in there, I'm like, what do you mean? He's like, just, he's like, it's hard to explain. but just don't do it. I'm like, oh, okay, <laughs> sure. Uh, whatever, whatever you say. Um, so we go down there and at the far end of the field, there's like thunder rumbling and there's, you know, there's a of bunch course. of like, regular tourists are sort of like, Whoa, look at those ghosts over there. We're like, <laughs> No, <laughs> spooking, the, spooking the normies. Um, and, uh, we see there's like this little green light kind of hovering out in the in the distance, and it looks like a traffic light from far away. But like, there's not anything out there. So like, what's causing it? Or like, like a like a lightning bug, but like a lightning bug that never shuts off. And so we're sort of like looking out there to see if we can see it. And it's it's getting you know it's dark by now, and we're like, all right, we got to go pretty soon. But um, notice like all four like start feeling like a little bit uneasy. Like, oh, okay. All right, and so in my effort to go see where this light's coming from, I've kind of gone from the path and down along this little stone wall a little bit. And um, I think that this thought, like, hits all of us at the same time, so we have to get out of this field. And so I turned around to start. I'm going like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to walk home. I'm not, like, I'm not freaking out. I'm like, come on.
1: I'm one
0: of the cool I'm kids. I'm fine. Yeah. I'm,
2: yeah there's this no this such this thing is as ghosts. This is, there's no such thing as ghosts. I was like... Man, I was—I was like, I'm in my twenties. I, I know what's going on. I've been to college, <laughs> <laughs> um, and I—I I stepped off the path, and I just—I had this—the mo- one of the most intense panic responses I've ever had in my life. And the only thing I could think was, like, I need to get out of here. I need to get out of here right now. Um, it was the weirdest thing. And I took off—I ru- took off running. It was like I—my brain shut down, and it was just my body was like, get. Out of here right now because I'm wearing I'm wearing my federal kit and I'm on the Confederate part of the field I was like I was like I need to get out of here something terrible is going to happen and I'm running up this field you know, like full tilt um, with all my with all my stupid stuff on and those slippery you know the, the slippery shoes you know I've got my heel plates trying to like dig in so I don't slip and um, my buddies are all, they're also running too and they're just like oh, get us out of here and as I'm coming up to the wall, I felt something hit me in the chest, and my legs just went out from under me, and I just went, you know, ass over tea kettle, um, and my friend who was behind me, like, picked me up by the scruff of the neck, and, like, throws me over this wall, and the tourists are still up, there like, whoa, what are you guys doing, <laughs> and we're like, oh, my God, oh, yeah, they're, like, they're like, did you guys feel that? like, yeah, and we look back, and they like, like, look back down the field, and that Damn little green light is still, like, right there and hasn't moved at all. We're like, we need to go. We need to go right now. And um, because, like, like idiots, we parked on the other side of the battlefield. So then we had to walk all the way back across through this, like. In the dark, the right? In the, mm. in the yeah. dark, you know. Yeah, yeah. The park was still open. Park service, you know, it's cool. It hadn't quite shut down yet. But, but, you know, back through Devil's Den, the Valley of Death, Slaughter Pen, Little Round Top. We're like, oh, my God, just get us out of here. Like, that was, it was so. It was wild. I was like I'd never been. A, I'd, I'd never put any sort of credence to ghost stories, and I still tend. To, I still tend not to. And it may have been a psychosomatic response, but boy, oh boy, I. I've I felt fear like I've scarcely felt in my life. Just that one step off the path, I was like, if I don't get out of here, like that's I'll, I'm never leaving. That's a good story. Yeah, it's wild.
0: That, that is a good one to end on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there
2: I goes. don't know how we could top that. Can't
0: <laughs> top that. In fact, that's like let's clip that one out and make it its own thing. All right. Um, so, Nancy, Jeff, cool. it's been great having you guys both yeah. on. Reminder, it, I mean the royalties are very small, but leaving Mac <laughs> behind, the Lost Marines of Guadalcanal, yeah. uh, by Mm-hmm. Jeffrey W. Raker. Yeah. Um, it's been great having you. I want to put a disclaimer out there that if we got anything wrong, sorry. <laughs> um, but uh, these are our opinions, of our own. They don't represent any companies, publishers, or. Uh, or the Marine Corps or the Marine D- Corps Association.
2: Or DPAA. DPAA. I don't want to be speaking for no. them, I'll get in trouble.
0: So, okay. <coughs> all right, we only speak for ourselves here. That's and right. uh, with that being said, I uh, will catch everybody on the flip.